Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new Monday episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. I am here to celebrate my birthday, which is today as of release day. So happy 40 years of life on this planet to me. Although I am still, to Wayne Aruzu of The Countdown, a young guy. Because he has legitimately the memory of a fucking goldfish. I've known you for five years, Wayne. We've done so many shows together. We've talked online. We're Facebook friends. You know I'm fucking like a few years younger than you. But every time he hears an opinion of mine, Dan, from Netflix and Swell, who is joining me, every time. Oh, he's a young man, right? He's a, yeah, he's a, oh, he's a, is he a young guy? He must be a young guy. Every time he fucking hears, Jesus Christ, Wayne, smoke less weed. Smoke less weed. That's all I'm saying. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Ah, shalomi, my homie. Shalomi. My homie, indeed. Uh, Dan, you're from Netflix and Swill. Yes. And uh, what is Netflix and Swill all about? Oh, uh, it's a podcast about Amazon Prime, and we uh, talk about abstinence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But, yeah, Dan is, uh, you know, of course, a great friend of mine in in RL. Amazing executive producer. In in meat space. In meat space. (laughs) Amazing uh, executive producer of Livestream for the Cure. I literally could not do the event without him. He was here again this year when we smashed the goal, hit almost $16,000, ate spicy jerky, laughed at Gerald as Gerald tried to eat spicy (laughs) jerky. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, my God. That poor man. That, that, That poor, poor man. And then Dan literally housed all of the salsa that I made. I will tell you what, Dan, since I just made it again. It's still, I'm, I'm finishing off yeah. the last of it. Um, second version, even better than the first, because A, I had jalapenos. I actually bought jalapenos this time. I didn't just use hot sauce. And uh, I just made up my own ratios. So I took that recipe and I just made up my own ratios of things to add to it. So it's got a lot more tomato, onion, garlic, and pepper in it. Mm-hmm. And I did two avocado instead of one. So eh. I highly recommend make it again, but follow my recipe or obviously add your own spin to it or whatever. Uh, and you will like it way, 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 way more. But I liked it so much that I ate the whole fucking thing. Literally the whole uh, fucking and thing. Ashley, Ashley has learned this, uh, that she can't have chips and salsa in the house because I'm addicted to it. Because they're too good. It's too good. It's too good. Uh, even when I make my own, uh, pico de gallo, uh, it's too good. So uh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't have them in the house at the same time. (laughs) But Dan Dan is not here to talk about pico de gallo or salsa or any of those kinds of things like that. Daniel, what are you doing here for this amazing, massive megasode for which you are the only person who replied in the affirmative that you would show up? Thank you. Well, I'm here to talk about a Cinderella story. Super uh, super Grinch Keeper coming to the P- with a PGA Tour. Oh, I got out of that one. Oh, my Lord in heaven. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, celebrating yesterday, the day before my birthday, 40 years of Caddyshack. Harold Ramis's directorial debut with a laundry list of comedians from the late 70s and early 80s. Rodney Dangerfield's film debut as well. Longtime listeners of the Epic Film Guys will remember the Dose of Dangerfield segment that we used to have where we used to play Rodney Dangerfield clips during breaks. Uh, I love that man so much. He is so goddamn funny. Mm-hmm. Every time he's on 
well in any any movie that he's ever been in and like his stand up when you listen to like the stuff he did on Carson his his stand up specials anything he is just hilarious I love, love, love Rodney Dangerfield. The rest of this movie could be ass, and there are things about this movie that are our ass. We'll talk about those. But huh. I love, 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 love Rodney Dangerfield. And he, by extension, and there's a lot of other great things about this movie we'll talk about, but he, by extension, makes the rest of this movie incredible to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want from me? I want all of the things, Dan. I want every word ever. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I came to this movie. What? It was actually funny because I watched this, I think, on Wednesday uh, of last week. And uh, the next day on Facebook, uh, the memory came up of me watching Caddyshack for the first time four years ago. Bam. Uh Caddyshack was one of those movies that's like, I need to get to this, and I got to it, and I, it resonated with me a lot because I used to caddy from the ages of 14 to 15 uh, for a well-to-do area where none of the golfers were good. So I just <laughs> felt like the, the, the Denunzio scene, like at the beginning where he's carrying two bags for the olds as they have no idea what they're fucking doing, That's I, I've been there before. Oh, my. I love that scene too. And that's that it's good that you brought that scene up, Dan, because that's really what this film is. And we can talk a lot about the production of this film and a lot of what this film was originally supposed to be before mm-hmm. it basically became a series of just comedic sketches and vignettes stitched together around a loose, very loose plot about a caddy who wants to get a scholarship so he can go to college and not work in a lumber yard. Uh, that is right. the plot of this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't care about it at all. Whatsoever. Um, it's kind of a double-edged sword because like how you say like with, with Dangerfield and like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, they, they like those three guys changed the entire complexion of the movie. And it's well documented that when you, when you had Dangerfield, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, they were supposed to be glorified cameos, but then they were just so goddamn funny that Harold Ramos was like, well, it's going to be about these guys now. Yep. We're just going to keep shooting shit and just keep making it up off the top of your heads as you go. Just go. Yeah. Just do your thing. So for them to be able to shine, so much of the Danny Noonan story had to be just completely pared down oh, into yeah. almost nothingness. Yeah. So I, it's, I don't think it's any actor in that storyline's fault. I don't no. think it's the I don't I don't want to say it's the writers either because they had uh, a much more compelling thing with uh, Dangerfield Chase and Murray uh, going on yeah. than what they were doing. Yeah, that's and that's and that's the story of this movie. It's like you said, uh, they were just so good that you know Harold Ramis literally just let them have the keys to the kingdom and just let them keep improvising scenes. So if you think about any memorable scene from this movie, it is almost guaranteed to be a scene involving Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, or Bill Murray just doing their shtick. And that's really all they're doing. They're legitimately just doing shtick. It's it's all almost all completely improvised. Like literally they would get like a line or so of maybe a little bit of stage direction. But yeah, Ramus really took the reins off and just let them have at. Mm-hmm. Which is 
I mean, I guess it, if you if you're well, if you're those comedians and if you're those people, that's amazing to have that kind of freedom to work in that sandbox. To the rest of the actors in this film, not so much. They were not fans of it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, like um, I I mean, uh, what the hell's his name? Ted Knight, uh, the judge. It. No, I mean Ted Knight. He was pissed. Like he like Ted Knight yeah. was pissed that the movie was just like basically visual chaos the movie but like michael o'keefe like i'm sure he couldn't be too upset because he still got to be the big hero at the end uh, and he was still like the main character for the most part of the movie he is ostensibly the protagonist of the film even though there's long stretches of screen time where he's just not even around (laughs) right but then you have like sarah holcomb stock scott columby where it's like there's these characters like they set up this whole rivalry between danny noonan and uh denunzio where like Eventually, whenever Dangerfield shows up, it's like, oh, well, forget about this. No one gives a shit. Fuck it. He's a background Italian guy. Uh, Fuck it. Just put him in the background. (laughs) Uh, Put a couple do-backs around him. Fuck it. Just put a couple more caddies in there. Fuck, there's a lot of caddies at that golf club. Holy shit. There's... So I can tell you from experience, there would never be this many caddies. I thought Uh, that that was the one thing when I was watching this movie. And I don't know why this is like the one thing that I was like, there's no way a golf club has this many caddies, right? Right. Because like at most you have a foursome, which means you have four caddies carrying a bag. You have a foursome go out every 10, 15 minutes. Right. So like at peak efficiency, uh, uh, they're finishing a golf game in four hours. Right. Uh, so like the only way you need that many caddies is if you literally have doubles or, uh, you know, foursome every 10 minutes, just going out, going out, going out. So they're, they're either coming in or going back. Uh, and, uh, funny thing, my, my girlfriend noticed, uh, Ashley noticed that there was like this old senior citizen caddy. And she's like, well, that's not realistic at all. And I'm like, that is not true. For I will tell you the the story of Chick, <laughs> the the old man golf caddy at the Fox Chapel Golf Club, because he went out twice a day with double bags every day. Wow! Like, yes, there are there are guys who like in essence retire and just like get paid to exercise, and that's what Chick did, and I'm sure that's what that old guy was doing too. That is wow! That's amazing. So, so if if you've ever stared at the old man caddy and gone, that's unrealistic. You're wrong. It is very realistic. Yeah, a lot of the cast. I mean, they either got their parts completely reduced down, like you said, to almost nothing. I mean, again, if you tell people what Caddyshack is about and then they watch Caddyshack, what they take away from the movie is in no way what you told them the plot of this movie is, but then like, again, the improvisation, like Cindy Morgan, and we'll talk a lot about Cindy Morgan's character. We'll talk a lot about the female characters and how just horribly, horribly pointlessly they're written. Like they're literally either just like window candy, like just eye candy. Literally like there's at least a couple of different scenes in the movie that stop wholesale when Lacey comes onto the screen just because she's a hot girl and we have to stop to stare at the hot girl. Not that I'm complaining. Sure. She is incredibly attractive. Mm-hmm. I will not complain about that at all. But, you know, it's you don't give them anything to do legitimately anything. And the one female character that you give even the slightest like shred of something is like a quickly hand washed away. Maybe she's pregnant uh, scene with Maggie played by Sarah Holcomb, who never acted after this, apparently legitimately that plot line is then resolved like 
a few minutes later, like instantaneously, like it's over and done with, like it brings this whole thing up. It could be like a dramatic shift for the characters, especially like because Danny's just banging both of them for no reason, but she's also banging Chevy Chase's character. I mean, if, if you could bang both, wouldn't you bang both? Well, I would too. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that aspect of it, but it's, it's all, but again, it's, I think it's all because of the material that was eviscerated from the film that none of that, it all feels really janky. It all feels really just kind of like, these are almost just left in here as bridges to get us to the next amazing 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 comedic scene i was i was dying laughing watching this movie this movie is still as funny in most parts there's a couple things that probably don't hold up as well if you had to choose dan like whose scenes which scenes in the movie were you more like excited for like whenever that character came on the screen was it chase was it murray was it dangerfield was it ted knight even because the judge is so over the top evil in this he's fucking oh, he's, hilarious he's, he's delicious he is so um, fucking funny i mean it's hard to say anybody but dangerfield like especially after you watch this for the first time because like uh going into it i'm like okay yeah i know this is about like dangerfield doing his thing and then you watch it like Holy fuck. Like his first, like literally the first words out of his mouth are, well, he has this obnoxious red car that he rolls up to <laughs> the most ridiculous the, uh, the, horn ever. The, uh, he rolls up to the golf club, uh, gets out of his car, which where the steering wheel is on the wrong side of the car is a European style se- steering wheel. He gets out of the car, uh, walks over to the valet and goes here, kid, grab my bags, park my car and put on some weight. And then he just walks off screen. <laughs> so I was reading, I was, I was reading some trivia before we watched the movie. So because this was Dangerfield's first ever feature film, he had no idea what to do. Uh, and Harold Ramis literally had to tell him to do his shtick to get Rodney to do his shtick. Like whenever Ramis would say action, he would just, he wouldn't do anything. He would just stand there. He'd be like, what? Huh? Like you just had to basically <laughs> tell Rodney he was on. And then Rodney right. just immediately shifted into Rodney. And then, like, it's amazing. Like, just, <laughs> he's, I, Rodney Dangerfield is, he is so goddamn magnetic and funny. Like, that first scene when he walks into the pro shop, like, the amount of energy oh that that God. character has. And he's like, give me a box of them orange balls. Give me a box of those uh, those naked lady tees in there. And then he sees the hat and he makes the joke about you, you buy this hat, you get a free bowl of soup. He sees it on the judge and, oh, it looks great on you. And that great turn away and eye roll that he does. It's like, <laughs> that's why he is, that's why he is such a fucking legend in the field of comedy. That's why he was so goddamn funny because that was, that was Rodney Dangerfield. He could just fucking fire like bam, 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 bam instantly like that. Like, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm so like they they got him to be in this movie because they loved his stand up. They saw him on Carson and they saw all the comedy shows and stuff that he did. They just loved him. And I'm so, so glad that Rodney Dangerfield is in this movie because every scene that he's in, every scene is. I mean, I asked that question so I could basically say that Rodney Dangerfield's my favorite. But I think that was a foregone oh, right. conclusion anyway. But yeah. I mean, like, it's not even just that scene. It's also the scene at, at later that night where, the, you know, uh, they have the, 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 the brass band and, it, like, all the olders are there just <laughs> dancing around. And he's like, 
Oh, everybody, the cemetery's two blocks to the left. And it's like, like what the f- he's just roasting these he people. He walks up to like, the band and he throws a bunch of money at him and tells him to get some lessons. And then they put on this, this, this like really jazzy, upbeat, big band song. And he's sitting there dancing, like having the time. And that's, that's the thing when you watch Rodney Dangerfield in this movie, he is having the time of his fucking life. <laughs> I mean, if I could capture just a little bit of that energy ever, right? Ever. I would I would relish it forever because like like and even even when Rodney got older I mean and Rodney Dangerfield is that kind of old that he always looked old anyway but right like even when he got older like even later on in his career like he still had that energy like which is it just is crazy to me it's absolutely crazy to me I guess we but we probably have to talk about other things in the movie, in the movie I, mean, I mean eventually I do actually want to talk about the Danny Noonan story because like I feel that. Before we get Dangerfield, I feel like there's uh, before Dangerfield and after Dangerfield. So what what I mean by it is like when we get that scene where he rolls up to to the the golf course. Yep, that's where the movie turns into the Rodney Dangerfield show. Yep, completely Let, deviates. I, I, I want to talk about like the very beginning because it it's the very beginning, like the first fifteen or so minutes is where they're still trying to do. It's an actual movie story. It's an actual movie. Like you get to see his whole family like this. How many kids live in that fucking house? Like I I, I took it as like they have the big like you look at their house. It's a fucking massive house. So it's just like uh, people are staying there for like the summer or like over a weekend or something. It's like, honey, who is this? Uh, That's your nephew. And it's like. What are we running a a, a a a soup kitchen? It's like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, that's a good line. <laughs> soup uh, kitchen. He's like, uh, he, he tells Danny to put money in, in the bank in, in like the 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 college jar, and he's like, wait, that was only like ten dollars. Where's the rest of it? He's like, oh, I had a burger and some cokes after. Like, oh, how many cokes? Oh, about four or five. What are you a diabetic? <laughs> like, there's there's some good stuff in there. There really it's is. Just You're like, exactly correct. As soon as that, like, as soon as Dangerfield hits, like, even the stuff with like uh, Chevy Chase and Danny talking—that's a great like, scene. I love that scene between yeah. he and Chevy Chase. That that initial scene because you really get a good a good inkling of kind of what Chevy Chase's character is all about in that scene as well. And yeah, that's a that's a great scene because it is it, it it's character exploration is what it is. You know, they're actually yeah. like you know you're getting into the the characters and everything here. But you're right. It's just you know, and and I think honestly you can also file Carl under that same thing as well because Carl was originally supposed to be a mute character, like he wasn't even supposed to speak. But huh. Harold Ramis was just like, no, Bill, just have fun with it, and he came up with yeah. that whole voice and that whole shtick that he does. And everything, and all those, like literally, Bark Murray improv, Im- Murray improvised like all of that, just right because you know. But like, I, I don't know. There's like you get the the conversation between Ty and Danny where it's like, oh yeah, I, my you know my family wants to work at a lumber yard, and I don't want to work at a lumber yard. And Ty's like, well, I own two lumber yards. Well, I see you don't spend too much time with them. Yeah. I don't know where they are. It's like this is there's some good stuff here. Like uh the the fight. Like it's like, what's that sign say? No no spitting. What's that sign yep, say? Yep, no yep, fighting. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
my god, good old like Brian there's legitimately Doyle good stuff before Dangerfield hits, but then when Dangerfield hits, it just he just completely takes over. Yeah, it's it's all the all of the more ridiculous elements in the movie start to take over, and that's that's yeah, that's when it starts to feel like this kind of cross section of all these different comedy sketches that are just stitched together around the Danny Noonan plot. So that's why all those characters just they feel a little empty except for Danny. Like Danny does share a lot of right. screen time with a lot of the characters cuz he ends up, you know, being the caddy for the judge because he's trying to warm up to the judge because he's trying to get the scholarship. And that's also when he has scenes with with uh with Lacey, Cindy Morgan who was skeeved into doing her nude scene or her topless scene in the sex scene right. in the movie by producer John Peters. Uh even though Ramus was like, "No, she doesn't want to do the scene." And then John Peters literally threatened her and said, you will never work in Hollywood again unless you show us your titties, uh, which is reprehensible. Yes. Uh, but this kind of thing, unfortunately, happened to actresses. I'm sure I'm sure it still does in some circles. Even oh, though yeah. Me Too has, has come a long way, but we're still so far away from where we need to be as far as all that shit is concerned. But yeah, like literally, literally, like this is like talking about like the rape scene in Death Wish 3 or whatever levels of just fucking skeevy skeevy men in hollywood just doing disgusting things like i said she's a gorgeous girl like yeah like she looks great and everything mm-hmm. but yeah like if she's not comfortable with it like if she doesn't want to do it then you know i like at least that harold ramos was like okay yeah then we're not going to do it then if you don't want to do it you know, and then the, he tried to he tried to have everybody take their shirts off to make her more comfortable, but it actually made her less comfortable. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, what a shit show. Just what a, what an right. absolute shit show. I like her in the film, though. I really think she's really good. I think she yeah. gives a good performance in the film. But yeah, it's really, I mean, really she's sad. one note. She and, always, and that's yeah. that's the real problem of her character. She's very one. Like, it's like sex object. And that's all you are. Mm-hmm. Sex object. Like you, you get some like decent cutting sarcastic lines, but then like after that, sex object. Yeah, and literally, like I said, there's literally at least like the first scene where she shows up. Uh, everything, the whole scene stops to show her walking in in the most sheer golf shirt of all time with no bra mm-hmm. on, and no bra. Then you know, there's the scene later. We got to talk about the scene at the pool where the caddies are allowed 15 minutes of pool time and apparently descend upon it like a fucking gang. Like of rabid animals, <laughs> which is again they, they one of like the, the creeps, funniest honestly. scenes. It's, but I mean, again, there's that scene where she walks into that scene, and literally everybody stops to stare at her as she walks all the way through up onto the diving board and then dives into the pool, and then everybody uh, applauds. To, to borrow a phrase from your host, uh, your co-host, uh, that scene is iconic. That scene has been parodied so it, many it times. Really has, yes. It, I mean, like. Yes, it, it, it viewing it through the lens we do now, it's ridiculous, it's uh cheesy, it's skeevy, but like that that whole one piece uh what, like climbing up the diving board, guys sucking in their guts, like I remember yeah. uh oh fuck, it was uh the Super Bowl episode of The Simpsons where they're like, All right, there's no women around, they just let their guts Everybody hang out. Everybody lets the guts and hang out. And all of yep. a sudden and then all of a sudden the bus driver shows up and is like, oop, oop, oop. And yep. you have the, you have that scene of them like that sequence of them just sucking all their guts back because they all have to hold it all the way to I think the Super Bowl was on Miami that year or whatever yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with having some some sexy eye candy and even drawing attention to it in movies. Like, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But give these characters some weight. Like, for the love of God, like, just give them some character weight. Give them a point at all to be in the story. And then they're just also hot. Like, right. their defining characteristic should not just be they're really hot. Like, I'm glad we've come as far as we have. But, yeah, we're still not as far as we need to be. But, you know, to be the skeevy Justin comment of the of the show, she's still really fucking hot. So it's oh, like, well, of course. You know, nobody's complaining that's watching it to be like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, of course, when her top comes off and you see her boobs, I, I gave a sarcastic, yay. Yay, boobs. Man, I mean, to because think. Because that's like, the 80s. This is the only way we could see tits for the longest time until the internet. So, I mean. I mean, uh, I saw this four years ago, so I, I was seeing tits way before that. Yeah. One or two. One or two tits. Just one or two. Yeah, just a few. Mainly yours. Definitely mine, sure. character a little bit more in the film. Does this, I mean, aside from, I love Murray as as Carl. I really do love Murray. But does the whole puppet gopher, like, thing storyline, like, are you, do you dig that at all or no? I can take it or leave it. It's, uh, it's over the top comical, and it gets us our climactic, like, finish to the movie, which, I mean Which is amazing. I fucking the, love the it. The whole trivia behind that is uh, pure insanity that they thought they could get away with this shit. <laughs> Uh, and we'll get to that when it comes to it comes to that point. But yeah, like that that whole sequence, like that that whole gopher thing. It's like, uh, I mean, you 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 get the wordplay of, oh well, if we take out the golfers, then who's gonna come come to the golfers? <laughs> no, the golfer, the, the the furry thing in the ground, man. Like that's oh the, the wordplay on that's fucking hilarious. Like that's that's also before Dangerfield, which like. <sighs> Not to keep harping on, but like, like, there's legitimately good stuff. But then all of a sudden, danger, like I said, Dangerfield fills up and takes over everything. And so you have to get like this Carl character who, you know, uh, creepily watches older women uh, golf uh, while he's like making sexually suggestive motions with the ball cleaner. <laughs> I, my favorite thing about that shot is when they finally show the shot of him with the ball cleaner, like actually do it. But there's like a little bit of soap dribbling out the front of it and down the front. Yeah. <laughs> oh my lord! I like I I love the character. I, I and you could have just had him in the movie doing that kind of stuff, and I think it would have been fine. Um, 
yeah, the, the gopher stuff is probably one of the weaker elements of the film. To oh, me. yeah. The, yeah. Like, I just, I, I love it. And I mean, but again, it's all in the film to pay off for that climactic portion of it. Like, that's literally the reason all of it's in the film is yes. just so you can have that final payoff toward the end of it. And I don't know. I, I don't necessarily have a better way to write to get to that explosive finale if you want to get there. But I don't know. I feel like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I mean, like, the only way it does, like, any justice for the Danny character is if he actually truly sinks the putt with, on, on, with his own skill. Uh, it, but then you have to completely remove the gopher storyline entirely, and it's just like, eh. You want if you want to have explosions, this is how you do it. I, I don't fucking care. Do I really you want. wish they would have edited that together better, uh, and like you know, made the timing of it way closer to when like the ball like at, like maybe as like the ball pauses on the edge of the cup and then immediately explosion and it goes in. Like that ball sits there forever before it goes in. That does not count. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, that that is true. But uh, I mean, movie's got a movie. Golf, uh, it's it's a well. I'm not gonna say that, but like, in fairness, uh, the judge was kicking his ball down the fucking fairway uh, also, multiple yes. multiple times during during the entire run of the the thing. So I have a question I'm, I'm about not the judge. Be too mad. Yes. Does the judge own the country club? I don't know. I'm and so confused by this. Same question, and I don't know. Because, like, he has his own office at the country club, but the manager threatens to throw him out at one point. He also threatens and, the greenskeeper. At one, so does he just hold, like, an, an inordinate amount of sway at the country club wherein he can threaten employees and say he's going to fire them and replace them as the greenskeeper? But then he's not powerful enough to be able to keep rodney dangerfield's character out of it like i'm the whole I, thing is weird to me like i don't understand the judge's like relationship i mean again this is probably one of those things that was maybe fleshed out better in the original script and just got right. excised but you know i i don't understand that character's because he at, at, at certain points he seems to own the country club yeah like he had like like i said he has his own office he yells at the staff he he like uh, he seemingly has sway over who can be members and who can work there. But then Dangerfield shows up and he's like, you'll never be a member at Bushwood ever. And then it's like, but he keeps fucking coming back to Bushwood no matter what. Yeah. And it's like, what, what's, 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 what's going on here? I don't understand. I, yeah, I'm so, I'm so, I, I, I love the judge though. I, he is so ridiculously over the top evil like mm -hmm. everything he says is legitimately skewed to be as evil as possible. And I love it. I absolutely love it. This was Ted Knight's final film as well. Yeah. Uh, I love when like his, he, he's on the golf course teeing off for the first time and Dangerfield's like, come on, a uh, hundred bucks says you slice. And he's like, Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Immediately slices. <laughs> Just fantastic stuff like that. Oh my lord! One of my favorite. One of my favorite parts of this movie is is the uh, the boat. First of all, when they when he and his wife christen the boat, and she takes the bottle of champagne and breaks the fucking the the I forget what that part of the boat is. 
Is that the stern? No. No, that is not the stern. Uh, it's the bow. That's the bow end of the ship. I don't know what that particular what thing that particular, is called. But she front. breaks it clean off. Like, literally, <laughs> clean breaks it off of there. And then you've got <laughs> Dangerfield. Al Cervic shows up on this giant fucking yacht, which is like dwarfs the size of this tiny little boat that the judge has. And then he's literally, he decides he's going to drive the boat. And then it just, it, there's literally like this three minute, just set of pratfalls and hijinks wherein he's chasing all these other people on boats all over the place there's that one great scene where like the the black guy is on the boat and he just sits there and he just looks up and just sees this yacht bearing down and he has to jump off of it the boat slices the fucking rowboat in half like completely tears asunder uh it i i know that Everyone talks about the explosion scene, and I feel like the explosion scene kind of dwarfs this scene. I think this scene is fucking crazier. This, yeah, because there's so many more stunts involved, like like uh, guys flipping off a of fucking jet skis. Yep, uh, guys like ducking out of the way of like destroying a rowboat, destroying that fucking podium thing, where like you have twenty people just fall in the water. Yep. Yeah, this scene is crazy. Like, absolutely crazy when you watch it back and it's like, how on earth? Like, I don't even understand, like, really watching it, like, how they pulled it all off. Like, I really, like, just watching it, it's it's insane. Like, the number of different shots. Like, you see this yacht, like, cornering hard. Like, mm-hmm. taking some hard fucking quarters when that thing is out there turning and everything. And then, of course, it ends with him dropping the fucking anchor of it. And then he gets out, he drops the anchor through the judge's boat, and he's like, hey, you scratched my anchor. <laughs> 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 oh, holy shit. I just, I love it so goddamn much. I really, really do. Oh. I don't know oh, what else man. to talk about with this movie. <laughs> I don't know. There, there really isn't like you. You can't really talk about the plot because, like, the plot they abandon the plot so quickly yeah. that it's like, oh, uh, like I'm, I'm sure Harold Ramos was like, all right, these, these, these comedy scenes are great. We got to get back to the Danny Noonan, Noonan shit because, like, otherwise the movie's not going to make any sense. Like, it's just going to be like, uh, why didn't I just do like the Twilight Zone but for comedy? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, eventually, I mean, because there's this rivalry between the judge and Al, you know, Dangerfield's mm-hmm. character, Ted Knight's character, you know, and everything. And I mean, I don't know why it wasn't just like, I don't know why the judge never would have said like, instead of playing for money, because it seems th- that's why I, the judge is a is a kind of a frustrating character for me. Like, I love his character and I think he's really funny, but he also doesn't make a lot of sense in some right. ways either like i don't know why if he really wants cervic gone from the country club why his stipulation wouldn't be fine if you win you get all this money if i win you never come back to bushwood like that seems right. to be more like a, a a staple kind of plot of one of these type of movies where maybe i don't know maybe that just didn't occur to them or because the judge was i mean the judge isn't necessarily meant to be like an honorable character even though he's a judge because he has that one scene right. where he talks about just literally like happily sending people away to prison sentences that they don't deserve and shit like he's not a good character like you're not meant to like right he, like the, the scene where he talks to the bishop and he's like bishop do you ever hear the joke about the the catholic the jewish man and the colored boy and it's like oh colored boy and you you, you, sit, you have the 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 guy working on his shoes like he starts like boy. grinding ah, his fucking you. cleats yeah <laughs> like yeah it's like 
I, but we, and then you have that thing where they're talking about Webb, who apparently is a really good golfer, but doesn't keep score and doesn't play against other people. But well, Danny, what would you say you shot today? Yeah, like a like a seventy five, seventy two, and more like sixty eight. I just which uh, that's like PGA Tour levels. Yeah, I feel like well, there's that one story that he tells. There's that one story that that Chase's character tells about his quote unquote roommate who could have gone pro, but then decided uh-huh. to go to college and stuff anyway. I don't think that story. I think that story is about him. Uh, yeah, I think sensibly, so I don't I don't they never go anywhere else with that. Like they never explore any of the rest of that. But I really think that that's meant to imply that like that was him. Like he decided to go to college instead of going for golf. But then he's drawn back to it. But he could have gone pro. Like, I really feel like that's what. Yeah, that's that's what that alludes to. But but yeah, you have that, you know, mystery of like, is Webb any good? Whatever the case may be. Although it's the weirdest thing. Here's why the the final showdown here where they have to have the whole golf match. The third act of this movie, I think, is the weakest part of it for this sure. reason, because it has to focus on this golf match specifically. Why? Like, I get we see Dangerfield's character throwing money around willy nilly all the time in this whole movie, like just literally throwing it at the band, throwing it at the people in the in the pro shop, throwing it at the caddies like he's tipping everybody really, really well, which is great. Mm. But like he is like so gung ho about making this bet with the judge for like tens of thousands of dollars, but he really sucks at golf. Why? Yeah. Like I, cause you never see him golf before that. Like you never see, well, well except for, okay, fine. You do see him golf. Like when he's out on the fucking green and pulls out like the, the scenes in this movie with Dangerfield are so fucking good. Like he, he's put, like, so what? And then he opens the radio. There's a radio on his fucking yeah. golf bag. It turns out let's fucking dance. And then journey so comes let's on. Dance. <laughs> dancing around the fucking green pissing the judge off it's like oh my god it's so fucking hilarious but then like you come to find out that he really sucks at golf yeah but like you don't think about that because like he's he's distracting you with his pageantry his money it's just like he's he's all show yeah and when you get down to an event where it needs to be about substance and like what you can do it's like oh well, you're just fucking garbage. <laughs> Maybe he just really loves the uh, the country club scene and he just wants to hang out and he's got enough money to be able to throw around where they would let him into a country club or whatever. Right. But he doesn't really have any interest in golf. He just does it because it's a requirement of being part of the country club, maybe. Oh, and, and that reminds me. He he even at one point say, threatens to buy the fucking country club to which the judge is like, no, you'll never do that. I'll, I won't allow it. Yeah. And it's just like, but does that mean you own it or or you're just like a, a high ranking member? What? what's what's your yeah. relationship I, yeah again it's 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 one of those things but you get so you get that scene and then you have that it's an utterly hilarious scene where he breaks his arm and that's the whole impetus oh, to get arm. danny in it's broken to sub for him. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's funny because like i mean of course the joke is that he didn't break his arm but like you immediately see like he's like my arm is broken and he, like they start pointing at something and he uses his, his broken arm to point at it and he's like oh 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 uh, ow 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 <laughs> like i just i yeah i i absolutely love it but i like i it, it's just the whole way that they just keep increasing the bets and like all of that kind of stuff like it feels more 
the humor in the in those scenes feels more forced and i guess it's because the rest of this film there's so much improvisation going on in so much of the rest of this film that's really funny and really great like you've got the scene between chevy chase's character and cindy morgan where you know they have that whole love scene and like that stuff again even though chase made her really uncomfortable because he was improvising so much and she couldn't even figure out what the fuck to do you know all that stuff is really funny, but is it because that stuff is so improvisational that when mm-hmm. you try to do the scripted humor, the scripted humor comes off as pretty stilted from these characters, like because they're so good at the improvisational stuff. I really feel like there's a disconnect there and it makes the third yeah. act of this film a little bit weaker for me. And, and I think it's mainly from Dangerfield because Dangerfield, like you're 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 pigeonholing him into saying certain lines that he needs to say in order to advance plot. Yeah. As opposed to he's just riffing off of himself and whatever he sees and he's just going. Like you can't have him riff if you need him to be giving plot. So you're then shoehorning him to this role that he's probably not the best at. Yeah. Uh, especially because like if you say the word action, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, again, this uh, is his feature film debut. He has no experience being on a movie set whatsoever. So right. literally all Rodney Dangerfield knows. And the, again, the only reason they hired him is because they saw his comedy sets and they just wanted him in the movie because he was funny. Like, you know, you never know with somebody in that situation, like you're going to grab him and put him on a set. Are they going to be able to act? You know, right. And I mean, Dangerfield obviously, you know, made a lot more movies and everything. And he's really good in a lot of those movies, but it doesn't have that same feel here. Like you can feel like that scripted material, especially for cervix character is just more awkward. Yeah. And there's no energy. There, it's like, so chaotic. There, there's like a lack of energy to yeah. to that sequence, like that that entire third act. It's so chaotic throughout the other two thirds of the movie with so much going on and just insane comedy set piece after insane comedy set piece that once you actually have to slow the movie down for the plot then it's like right yeah so no i i do love this movie though but we were going to talk about the finale and you said you know you know the trivia of the finale i honestly yeah i honestly don't it's one of those things that i didn't get a chance to catch up on when i was reading through trivia for the movie so daniel how did they set this finale up so they actually did film at a real golf course uh, and basically the owners went away for like a weekend or something like they were, they were mainly uh, uh, like around the filming site whenever filming was going on. But then they're like, all right, we got to go do something. So we're going to be away for a few days. So Harold Ramis is like, all right, they're away for a few days. It's time to build. It's time to start the finale. It's time to start preparing the, the golf course for explosions. <laughs> Uh, and they use too many explosions, uh, and, and too <sighs> much explosives. So like they, they, they cause like massive craters within this golf course. Like they, they built up, they, they built up their own hills and blew up their own hills, but then they would put explosives around the rest of the pro- the property and they would blow up parts of that property too. And it's like, well, you just completely fucked this golf course. Uh, so much so that pilots, when they would see, when they saw the explosions, uh, reported it multiple times to authorities because they were like, a plane just fucking went down in this golf course. <laughs> oh my god, in heaven, that is amazing. So so yeah, they they truly blew up a golf course, and the the owners were fucking furious. 
obviously, because it's I like mean, you you completely destroyed our golf course, the the thing we need to make money. And I think they filmed this in like I want to say like early spring, maybe even winter, but in like a a, a fairly warm area so that way you know they could could use a golf course that wasn't covered in snow right (laughs) so like that i think that was part of it where it's like uh, all right so like but it's also one of those areas where it's warm enough that you can golf year round so like they're losing money because they're not they, they can't have people golf on their golf course yeah i wonder i think i i have to believe like watching it just hearing that story because when i watched this a long time ago i haven't seen this movie in ages and ages aside from danger field clips which you know i watch because i love them so i watch it and you see that explosion and you see the reactions of the characters in the scene and they feel like they're genuine reactions to what the fuck is going on mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that makes a lot more sense now <laughs> it really yeah it really really does yeah because they they use too much they use too much. They, they, they like. There's just they I mean, which is part for the explosives. course because that's what Carl is doing when he's trying to get this. He's trying to get this gopher. I mean, literally, he is planting C4 everywhere. Yeah, you know, so it makes complete sense. Like, I love the scene of Bill Murray when he's got all the wires like leading to all of the C4, like literally all of it, and then he wires it all together into that one plunger. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Oh, Lord in heaven. That explosion is amazing, though. Like, it's great. Like, oh, yeah. I love seeing it. But yeah, you could like you could just tell watching the movie. That's why I wanted to ask when you when you mentioned the trivia about it. I wanted to I wanted to get a little bit more in depth on that because you could tell that a lot of those reactions are very genuine because obviously this is the kind of 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 stunt requiring so much setup, so much pyrotechnics, so much all like everything that it required. Like, there's no way they're doing that twice. No, no way. They're getting no, it once. You, no, and you done. have one shot to set up all of your shots and get all of your reactions. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're in deep shit because it took you two days to even set it up and they're coming back. Oh my lord. I just I love this movie. I love this movie. It's not without its problems. No. I I I I can't and here's the thing. Would so do you think if if you excise all the improvis- improvisational stuff and if you just have the Danny plot, do you think the Danny plot alone, based on the characters that they do give us and the performances that they give in those roles, would we have gotten enough to get not a great movie probably, but at least a decent-ish movie out of it, do you think? Decent-ish, if not formulaic. Uh, like I said, I think like I really like a lot of the first fifteen minutes, and they keep up some of that energy, like uh, the Danny and Judge scene when they're in the judge's office and they're they're, they're trying to talk around the the fucking uh, oh the lamp, all oh, that's the, so the fucking and funny, and he freaks out and knocks it off. The t- <laughs> uh, and, and you know when when the judge comes back and sees Danny and in his uh in his bed, and uh, Danny runs into the bathroom with uh, the judge's wife, and she's like, oh. And then she sees him with his shirt off and she just like, kind of gives him like this coy She's little like, smile. Oh. And then I the old from he's freaking out, like attacking him with it. And that's a great scene, too. That's one of my favorite comedic bits in the movie, um, because it's like the other people show up for tea. And it's like, do you think we're still having tea? And then like he knocks the waiter over when he's chasing him and the tea falls down. I think that was the tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fucking it's, funny. It's the olds from the beginning with the Nunzio. 
I just I love it. I I I loved that scene. That was great. Even that scene with Denunzio at the beginning of the movie, like those kinds of random things, which I'm assuming were scripted. Um, yeah, those were great. Those were really really great moments. So yeah, I think it would have been like a decent, a decent, yeah, comedy. It, yeah, if not formulaic, because it's like, hey, well, kid, kid who's struggling to get thing gets thing. Yeah. Like, exactly. So like, I wouldn't have been like. You know, it, it probably wouldn't be nearly as revered as it is without the Carl character, without, you know, the performance that Murray gives there, without Dangerfield, without Chevy Chase doing the things that they did, you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's hard to it's hard to trade that off. Like, it's understandable that the other actors working on set would be like, this is fucking nonsense, chaos. And like, we're not here for it. Like, we're trained actors. What the fuck's going on here? Can we get right. some decorum, please? <laughs> Right, and especially if you're an actor whose role was uh, completely pared down in order to make room for Dangerfield, Murray, and Chase to do their things. You know, you're working with a first-time director, you know, who is also a comedian, so of course he's he's loving it, you know, but... Well, he doesn't love the film, though. That was one of the bits of trivia that I'm always surprised. That was one of the things I did know about this as well, but he's always, he's dissatisfied with it. Just wasn't he? Th- he thought he could have done more. He thought it, they they could have done so much more. They could have done so much better with a lot of things about this movie. I think I agree with him. If he's if his grievances are with the lost material, the material because this apparently the original cut of this movie was four and a half hours long. There's, I mean, that Whew. makes sense. That's about the average run length of a uh, of a golf round. Uh, if you're mediocre. Yeah, and I mean it. It makes sense because uh, if you think about like all, if you take out all the improvisational stuff in this movie, uh, it's twenty minutes long, basically. So yeah. all the rest of that plot with the Danny and like all those characters, like that's all the stuff that got cut out of this movie. So you know, I wonder. You know, I, it's just it. It's a classic. I love it. It still holds up. A lot of it is still very, very good. A lot of it still holds up really, really well. Uh, and I laughed my ass off again watching it like i said especially at the danger field stuff but it's just you know i i I just i don't know there's there's that chaotic thing where you know you always wonder like or wish maybe there could have been some kind of director's cut or some kind of i don't know bigger cut that would have Mm -hmm. fleshed out more of those characters that really would have made you care that danny's going to get that scholarship or danny's going to be able to you know go to college and chase his dreams and and do whatever but you just don't get enough of danny's character in this movie and michael o'keefe gives a good performance in the role i think he's good yeah yeah i like him as danny you just don't get enough of him you just need more danny and you just don't get it to really anchor you to the film, as far as I'm concerned right it's bare bones you're just like yeah i like this kid i want to see him succeed but it's like that's it. Like he seems like a slackery kind of like it's it it feels like it's supposed to be like a coming of age story also. Yep. But it's there's not enough there for him to do it. It's just like, oh, he won a caddy tournament and now people saw him win a caddy golf tournament. So now he's going to win a real golf tournament for money, like a lot of money. And it's like, yeah, okay. it's also like, I mean, if you think about the material that they had that they must have cut out of this film and then the material that they leave in here, like they leave in Maggie's pregnancy thing. They leave in Maggie as a character at all. Like, again, I like Sarah Holcomb's performance. I like her in the role, but yeah. the character is useless to the film. Like, why not excise that stuff and leave in more character development for Danny? Because that like there's that one scene where they think 
you know, they think that she's pregnant and he's like, I'll marry you and all these different things, which all that stuff comes so far out of left field. I'm like, what the fuck is like, what even movie am I watching right now? Mm -hmm. You know, it it feels I think it's like he's panicking. Like It's supposed to be like he's panicking. He's just like, I got to think of something like I'm fucking this up. I got to think of something to do. But it's never really dwelled on. Like, he doesn't grow from that at all. We got like one other. We got like one scene of he and Maggie even together in the film or maybe one one or two other brief scenes of them together in the film like that one scene where they go back to you know the house and Denunzio's outside and like trying to jump up and look in the window and he you know flips him off and lowers the shade and everything like that's really are they even in they're in one other scene when they're eating lunch behind the little yeah counter thingy like they have almost no other screen time together so you never even get a chance to see these characters really gel or to really care about their relationship, or I, they, I guess they don't have a relationship. I guess they're just fucking because Danny's also fucking Lacey, and Maggie doesn't seem to care. Yeah, she well, like she gives some shit at, uh, at the, pool. the the evening event, but then other than that, it's just like she doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's weird. But again, none of that stuff is flushed out enough, so you're just kind of left to be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Kay. So, so like, oh, yeah, this, yeah, these are these are events that are happening in this movie for sure. Yeah, this is certainly a thing that's happening in this movie. Uh, I don't know, but I do love this movie. I absolutely love it. So, Dan, I'm really, oh, yeah. really glad that you were here to uh, to to celebrate it in this massive, huge megasode. Everybody else pipe down. Dan's going to talk now. Mm. <laughs> I miss doing those megasodes. It makes me sad because even when I put out the calls for them now. They don't ever seem to happen anymore. Unless it's the Napoleon Dynamite Megasode, which was fucking glorious. I love that movie. But uh, Daniel, please, if you could, let the audience know where they can find you out there on the web. Uh, Netflixandswill.com. If you want to find our podcast, you can go to Netflixandswill.com slash listen. And that'll take you to a podcatcher where we are on. Uh, we we cover Netflix shows, news, uh trailers uh and uh most of most of the time a third segment movie that is typically garbage typically typically uh until uh like what three weeks from now when we we finally do the social network where it's like all right nick heard about this for years this better be good i mean you won't like it as much as i do i'm sure but I still think it's the best movie of the fucking decade. I don't care. <laughs> I still absolutely slavishly, slavishly worship it. So such, such as it is. But um, Daniel, thank you again for, for, for taking a little bit of your evening to be here to discuss Caddyshack with me. Let us know over on social media, Epic Film Guys everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Let us know, of course, what you thought of Caddyshack, what you think of Caddyshack. What are your favorite parts of Caddyshack and why is it when Al Cervic, you know, opens the radio and just starts dancing to Journey on the middle of a fucking fairway. Just iconic, iconic, iconic scenes in cinema history. This also gives us one of the greatest memes of the internet generation. Well, we're waiting. We're waiting. <laughs> so fucking... He's so deliciously over the, over the top. Yeah, that's... But the great thing about this movie is where, you know, we talk about tonal disconnects in a lot of the canon movies that we watch and things... Everybody is deliciously over the top in this movie. Everybody's mm-hmm. here for it, and that's why Caddyshack is as great as it is. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you 
all of you so, so much for listening. Until next time, Daniel, we will see you. Hey, everybody, we're going to get laid. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect.